0: everyone thanks for tuning in to power athlete radio featuring the crew where a former pro football player a d3 all-star and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but now here's John Luke and Tex
1: Kick the
2: wheels right before the hammer strikes make sure the from we got the girls oh so right
1: Power Athlete Nation. Yes, you rang. What's happening? What is happening? Um, a, a podcast.
0: I think so. This is a, another episode
1: of the premier podcast in, in strength yeah. and. You tell me. Condition. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Ing. Ing. God, we got ah, we got yeah. three. We got them, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. That's right. It is a crew episode, um, and we are here with our colleague. PT extraordinaire, block one coach, uh, Matt Zamis, Zamnis? Zamis, Zamas,
2: Zamas? Z- Zennius? Zennius. Zennius?
0: Have we even, you know what, is it Zanus?
1: Well, he's the star of Turkish star Wars. Oh, okay. So. Matt Turkish Dan. Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Google <laughs> Turkish Star Wars and training look. I've not heard of
2: that, but I need to. I need to look that up now.
1: Uh, at least once a week. Back in the day, we used to watch <laughs> it for inspiration when programming <laughs> and also getting ready to do our own training.
0: Mostly the training montage. Now the whole movie, I have to admit, guys, I have not actually seen.
1: <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> but, anybody, I don't think anybody's seen it.
0: Well, good, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's Bollywood's uh, take on Star Wars in the '70s, and it has one of the most epic training montages in cinema history.
2: Would we'll yeah. say Are you say my open? hair fits the culture,
0: uh, possibly maybe,
2: possibly maybe a little bit. It, it's better than being uh, correlated to the Princess Bride movie when I had my facial hair.
1: Ah, oh. yeah. as you <laughs> wish.
2: <laughs> that was
0: a
1: dark time. Yeah, the RUSs rats of unusual size. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. The um, so text. Do we have a voicemail or is this a topical?
1: Topic? This this is a call to action a CTA ah uh, and that voice of an angel is mr. Quil- uh, tax mcQuilkin yeah well
3: <laughs> this past week in the NFL there was a alarming number of ACL tears high ankle sprains Achilles tears and issues rich incognito he suffered a <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> he's he suffered an Achilles issue. A lot of bananas. Um, he didn't rupture it, but he's still at it. And
1: we just had to tap in Matt Zanis who so, wrote. A so blog you know for when us. he when uh, Richie hurt himself, uh, when he cracked, actually gravy came out. Oh. So he broke his wishbone. hey Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw some pictures of Richie not looking slim. Well, he's he's paid a lot of money to look that way, John. Uh, it's bad. I mean he uh he he hasn't been in shape since he was 12.
3: Well, a number of premier athletes went down, including Saquon Barkley who was mm-hmm. so much fun to watch, Christian McCaffrey, he's the one with the high
1: ankle sprain and, and they just paid him a ton of money. Yeah, well, a lot of yeah. these guys yeah. got
3: paid a ton of money. You think Broncos, there's a
1: correlation between the money getting paid and the injuries? Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know, but I'm sure that some nerd out there can figure that out, but uh, Broncos wide receiver went down, Seahawks linebacker both with ACL tears, so that's this is week two.
1: And also Nick Busu.
3: Oh uh, yeah, and then the, yeah. the, the yeah. premier he got paid or his brother just got paid. Yeah, well from yeah. San Diego. But yeah.
1: needless to say, why we I like two? them way better than the Watt brothers. <laughs> I mean, the Busu brothers are way better than the Watt brothers. If, if I was going to take a, uh, a brothers against brothers, I would take the Busu brothers Is that what over this the... podcast is about? Well, you know,
3: I mean... Okay, uh... well, show me the Bo- uh, the Bosa's brothers TV show.
1: Hmm. Well, they actually have real first names, not just acronyms.
0: Well, that sounds ridiculous.
1: TJ and JJ? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, what, what are their... They're
0: brother? into that whole brevity thing, you know?
1: <laughs> All right. And then they also have a fullback brother. Stan. <laughs> like, no. this is TJ and JJ and Stan.
0: Laser, taser, blazer. <laughs> his ZJ. His name is
1: DJ.
3: Is his name DJ? Derek. Yeah.
1: Z-J. Derek John Eric. Watt.
3: DJ. DJ. ZJ.
1: <laughs> if you okay. got to ask, big man, you can't
3: afford it. All right. Well, as much as John loves to talk about JJ Watt and bring him into the picture, facts. I feel my question, big question, Matt why week two? They went to like speed
1: re- week I one. I feel like
2: we're on a re- repeater again, though, Tex. We talked about J.J. Watt last time, and it's another foot problem.
1: <laughs> I feel like we're doing a repeater well, again.
2: It is a repeater. It
0: feels a little bit like a repeater again. <laughs> That'll happen. hey. But <laughs> That will
2: happen.
3: J.J. Watt is injury-free. if Once he makes it through all 16 games this season, we'll have a J.J. Watt podcast. <sighs> I'll do what I can to get him on. But in the meantime, let's talk about why week two, why not week one, is it lack of preseason? What's going on? What are your feels, Matt?
2: Uh, you know, it, it's tempting to try and correlate something like a lack of preseason to what's going on with the injuries right now. But at, at the end of the day, it's probably more so related to just randomness of, of playing football now. If we start to see these rash of injuries continue on into weeks three, four, five, and so on, I think there'd probably be a little bit, be a little bit more to talk about. But um, at the end of the day, like lack of preparation is. Think these guys are preparing for a while right but there is one common denominator that we're kind of seeing in relation to all these injuries because the majority of them are lower body right so we got high ankle sprains acls or um, achilles tendons hamstrings groins and that one connection foot is connection point is the foot and the ankle it's the only point of connection with the ground so um i think it has a lot to do with what's going on down there our lack of Awareness around the foot, and then also how these these cleats and these athletic shoes are impacting what's going on up the rest of the kinetic
1: chain.
0: How many are non-contact? All of them? All that you mentioned? No, no, no,
1: no, no. no there was no. there was an interesting mix. Uh, one of the thing, one of the thoughts I had when I was trying to you know not only prepare for this, but like you know understand why this might happen, it could be changes in surfaces. So we used to see a, a higher spike in injuries uh, when like let's say we practiced on all grass and we had to go play on turf. We have uh, like a higher rate of injury. So if we were playing a turf game that that Sunday, we practiced on the turf. If we were playing grass, we played grass regardless of the weather just because we wanted people to be used to that turf, you know, uh, surface. So on grass, you slide a little bit more, whereas on the turf, you tend to catch. And so we had to, you know, work out your shoes, what shoes you're going to wear, you know, what does their turf look like. And um, that was actually a real science in this piece. So I'm wondering if maybe guys had been pretty consistent through the offseason training on grass, and then all of a sudden they get into a little bit different of an environment, maybe the shoes they catch. Or um, my contention is football is best played at like, I know this sounds kind of crazy, at like an 80%. So when you go through a training camp and you bang and you hit a lot, uh, you're at this something like 80% and everybody's at this 80% and it looks pretty good and people get you know can play. All of a sudden when you're too fresh or guys aren't banged up and they're playing at 100% and the guys are so big and dynamic, that's when you see people's fucking bodies just explode. And um, all the time if a guy missed a whole bunch of time coming back from an injury and he'd come out there, we'd be like, dude, it's too fresh. You better slow it down. You're going to get hurt. you, you know you got to wear it down. So there was kind of this like – Uh, like 80% and kind of ratcheted up a little. But when guys were too fresh and they went too hard, sometimes injuries happened. So maybe these guys were too recovered going into the season and then not having enough of a preseason or really a tough enough training camp that we're just seeing these guys too big, too strong, just having some major injuries.
2: Right. I think you bring up two really good points there, one being the environment, right? So the environment not only that they're playing on, but also what's going on inside the shoes as well because a lot of these guys are getting – ankle tape jobs and like i'm a recovering ankle taper as well um so we know how much uh, bullshit that is taping up the ankle to try and prevent like these ankle sprains uh, and everything but you're 100 right like with the with those cleats and gripping and and, and contacting the turf, there's a lot more grip occurring there so all the forces are essentially going into the shoe and the foot's not really attenuating anything it can't transmit anything effectively up the rest of the chain and that's what a lot of the the tape jobs are doing they're making things too restrictive the shoes are too restrictive on the foot and not allowing the the 33 joints in the foot to essentially do their job and attenuate the forces and then transmit that appropriately through the spiraling pathway up into knee and up into the hip to allow those um, the, the mechanical nature of the, the dynamic stabilizers meaning the muscles and everything to, to do their job appropriately instead of putting it into you know stresses into areas like the ACL or into the tendons of the hamstring where they can't really they can't really hold those forces all too well.
3: On a note as well, I heard for, through just through NFL Network, the Meadowlands, so the Giants stadium, how terrible the turf is from the players' perspective, even the 49ers who went out and almost wanted to forfeit or not play in the game because they didn't like the turf. Mm-hmm. And then we saw 10 of their starters go down at a 22 and then Barkley, so this was the Saquon-Barkley game. It was Giants 49ers, and we see these giant in. Uh, can any intervention be done with the turf field? Is it just beyond uh, the player or coach's control? Well,
1: um, so, I was, well, I dude, I got a scar on my knee that I look at almost every single day that reminds me of what it's like to play on terrible turf. I mean, I ruptured my patellar tendon uh, in the Philadelphia Eagles uh, veteran Stadium, which was like painted concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, um, you guys have played miniature golf? Yeah. Imagine yeah. playing football in a miniature golf, like that level of stuff. I mean, it was awful. And uh, actually, my foot got caught in a seam. My foot got stuck. And then when I got hit, I got loaded. My, and that was when my knee ruptured. Um, so, I mean, dude, I uh, for years, I mean, for 10 years, I probably still had scars on my legs and on my elbows and stuff from like skidding on that turf. And it was like it was like painted concrete. So uh, I watched a dude get tackled from behind kind of a horse collar before it was illegal, and he blew both ACLs on one play. So, I mean, like, the turf was – I mean, we used to call it the turf monster, and there was a lot of, uh, (laughs) like – there was a lot of, like, a, a funny jokes that weren't really funny about it. But um, the Meadowlands, so I, I think what happens is with these older stadiums, they don't have the drainage or they don't have, like, the system in place. So what they do is when they build these new stadiums, they, they like, I don't know if you guys watched the, uh, the construction of the Raiders. So they had a whole YouTube thing on, like, how they constructed it, how they built it, like, the walls and, like, this pretty amazing, like, feat of engineering. But they put a ton of... Uh, time and money and effort and thought into creating a, a, an excellent surface for these guys to play on. And, you know, there's a slight little bit of bounce in it. I mean, there's like, you know, like the, the grass height, they can adjust. I mean, there's all this in, in amazing stuff. Um, and I think the problem is is you have a place like the Meadowlands, which is what built 30, 40, 50 years ago.
3: No, this is the, this is the new one. Oh, this is the brand new one. Yeah. And to put it, I, I, I can look up the year, but I know that it, it's just Peyton, been, within, is it the been within Super Bowl the last that
1: Peyton won? So it's been within the last ten years. Yeah, maybe that was sixteen. Okay, so it was within the last ten years. Uh, I just don't know if maybe they're keeping up with it, and who knows? Um, you know, maybe the New York Giants are want the play, You know, want the turf to be shitty. Who knows? Yeah, but is that even really cool.
2: a, con- a controllable, modifiable factor? Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I mean, those... if things are uneven, like like that was an interesting thing too. Like uh, sometimes there'd be bumps, or like you know, like normally like uh, grass fields kind of taper. Down this way, you know, because they want them to crowd in the middle and then they flow this way. Uh, Not all the turf fields were kind of like that. So I don't know. I mean, maybe just different service or maybe the guy just wears the wrong shoes or maybe it's just an injury waiting to happen. Um, You know, so much force in the hamstring and not enough, uh, you know, flexibility in the foot.
3: 2010.
1: Yeah. So it's been 10 years. I mean, think about the, you know, just the advances. I mean, think about where we were within cell phones 10 years ago. I mean, you tell me that the turf hasn't improved. Uh, all the players now are all wearing um, uh, sensors and all of their gear has different sensors. So the pads, the helmets, everything. So that not only can they, they can track the guy. So they have like something like 700 cameras and I'm using, I'm making up that number, but some astronomical amount of cameras with sensors and everything. So they can track every single movement and actually create 3d models. So if you've seen now when the uh, announcers go to like a play and they can show that kind of 360 deal, the way that works is from sensors and all these different cameras to create this almost virtual uh virtual reality deal Mm -hmm. so uh, i'm pretty interested at at the end of the no i
2: was going to say that at the end of the day though now like the injury rates are still increasing every single year right so we're really no better despite all these advancements and i'm going to use the word technology for the advancements in the shoe design i mean i think i think they've done a great job at you know exponentially improving the performance of the athletes uh, but the one thing that they're not really doing is decreasing these these risks of lower body injuries like we're still seeing it across the board either staying level or climbing every year
3: and i got some quick stats to to back that up and we're looking at i'll just give the last 5 years 2015 we had 49 acl tears 26 of which occurred in the preseason so just over 50% then 48 16 51 17, what 53, did like 18.
1: In, what what did it look like in 8 and 9? Does it show 2008
3: and 2009? No, it, uh, up to 10 here. But mm-hmm. roughly
1: 50-plus percent occur in the preseason, so mm-hmm. those first four weeks. But that's when the CBA changed. And you remember they actually took padded practices out, so now a team I think only gets a, maybe a handful of padded practices the whole season before it wasn't limited. So after 2010, after the, for the current CBA – and I remember when that happened, they saw that there would be a spike in uh, lower body injuries.
0: And then, is this again just question? If they delineate what between contact and non-contact,
3: this current graph, no, there been
2: this. And then, looking it up is the, the
0: injury rate uh, data that you're looking at. Does it take into account contact <laughs> versus non-contact or upper they do. lower? They sh-
2: Uh, They stratified into lower and upper body and then also into contact versus non-contact. And what was really interesting, John, you brought the the CBA. Um, The first two years after the CBA, we actually saw a dip in injuries. So they actually went down a tiny bit, but then started to spike again afterwards, Mm -hmm. which is it's an interesting data point because it's like I I can't really explain a lot of it right now. Is there
0: any is there any. analysis on age of the player like is it a young player new Mm. player like i I think that there's so many interesting different ways to slice this data to to determine a true trend of injury rate and potentially identify a cause if it is like uh, you know uh, these kids are coming in with mandatory ankle tape through high school now and they haven't like and then like you just see this thing compound over time where did Mm. did you have to get your ankles taped in college sean Uh uh-huh yeah we had
1: um this is crazy but uh we didn't have to tape our ankles in high school but um in college we had to tape our ankles and as offensive lineman, we had to wear knee braces, Mm -hmm. which were like, um, reminded me of like, you know, when the Forrest Gump's a little kid. Oh yeah. That was, (laughs) that was what our knee braces, they were these massive Don joy custom fit ACL braces. And the crazy part is, is we had dudes still blow ACLs wearing them and we're like, but I thought these, you know, and then it's like, it's sure shit. So back then were you like, did you, were you
0: like sweet? These braces are going to protect me. Or did you know back then, like if you, when you were when you got fitted and, and warm, or you just like, well, that's what the coach wants. I'm doing it.
1: Uh, no, I felt like um, uh, I felt w- way less athletic, mm-hmm. and it took me like a long time to actually learn to play with like that restriction on. Huh. And I think that's uh, that's an interesting piece because I'm like, yeah. why would you want to reduce somebody's athleticism and their ability to move through space? <laughs> under the idea that you're gonna protect them from something that might potentially happen.
0: Buy down risk, I guess. Uh, Yeah, Yeah.
1: and and that's what they're doing. And uh, what's crazy is I still tore my ACL wearing the brace. Mm -hmm. And then at that point when I came back, uh, I wore the brace um, my junior year, And then uh, I didn't wear the brace my senior year and they got mad and I was like, you can fucking Don Patrol me till I die, which was their punishment where if you got a penalty or you didn't tape your ankle or whatever, they would give you a Don Patrol you to wake up at like five and run stairs. I'm like, I'll do them every day. Uh, And then what I did is I stole a set of old knee braces and just taped a hinge on the side Mm -hmm. of my leg. And I was like, I'm wearing knee braces. You're not wearing the approved knee braces. I like it. Well, like it's um, like I don't understand the idea of like restricting a joint or restricting an individual that's healthy out of fear that something might happen when it reduces the mobility and creates a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Like, like locking the ankles in position. I'm like, how does this work? I mean, I'd get my ankles, uh, ankles taped like three hours ahead of time and I would squirt water in them. So they loosened up. (laughs) And I'm like, how is this fucking helping anybody?
0: So Zanis, unlike on the ankle tape job, right? So the foot has these magical nerves and tissues and everything that, you know, you and uh, Dr. Emily Splitchell were talking about. So what, when you tape and you put like a heel lock in and you restrict ankle movement, like what percentage, is there a percentage of dysfunction you're applying? Does that make sense? Like, like, what are you immobilizing? Yeah. What are the, what are the potential issues? And then are there any, like, are there even any benefits to tra- to do like a, a cost benefit analysis?
2: there was no i wouldn't use, usually wouldn't use the term percentages for this luke like the whole reason why we would, we would tape an ankle is because we have assigned a label as a position of the foot being good or bad mm-hmm. right but th- there is no good or bad and, and then what they were doing was saying that supination or having a more or more of an arch in the foot was a good position versus pronation being a bad position but we know now that they couldn't have been too i mean they're so far off the mark with it all like we need both. You need to be able to pronate and supinate. So essentially what happened is you lock the foot into one position and it can no longer move, meaning it can't distribute the forces that are coming up from the ground. But energy can't be created or destroyed, right? It needs to go somewhere. So when we lock an ankle, we lock a foot, we put it in a restrictive shoe. And I don't know about you, John, but I, I used to see guys, especially linemen, get taped over top of the ankle then, or over top of the shoe. So they had two tape jobs on. Yeah, it's so called that a spat. forces.
1: So yeah, guys spat, would get their yes. yeah their shoes spatted, and uh, uh, I would never spat a shoe even if my when I blew my ankle out because I was too afraid that somebody would look and be like, one ankle's taped, so they would only like sp- they would spat both shoes because they didn't want and and a lot of the brothers did it because they just thought it looked sweet, mm-hmm. uh, but. Like for me, I would never spat a shoe. I mean, but um, that was mainly because I just didn't want somebody to look and be like, oh, his left ankle's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, because then they would just, you know, for the, the same reason I, right. I saw if a dude was wearing an elbow yep. brace or had something that looked different, I'd be like, oh, must be an injury. I know where I'm going.
2: Yeah. So I think essentially what happens is you get the, now this correlation where you've taken the movement out of the foot and the ankle. So that force has got to go somewhere. And then this brings up uh, Christian McCaffrey's injury, to the high ankle sprain it goes directly into what we call the syndesmosis joint, which is right between uh, the tibia and the fibula, so yeah. the two lower leg bones. And that's where it, it, that little, that little fibrous connective tissue in there can't really withstand uh, that amount of force, especially with like 250-pound-plus guys um, with all the ground reaction force of gravity going through it. But then the other problem, and this is, and this is where I think that the ACL tears come in, is because when the, the foot is supposed to pronate, it allows the tibia to turn inward or to in, internally rotate which creates a little bit of a, a twisting effect. We call it the screw home mechanism at the knee. And we're supposed to get about 30 degrees each way when the knee bends and extends. And if we don't have that, the forces are gonna go directly into the menisci, into the PCL, the ACL, maybe even um, the collateral ligaments as well. And then we see a disastrous outcome for that, obviously.
1: Wow. No, this is, uh, as you're talking, I mean, like the what's crazy on that high ankle sprain, So when I broke my fibula, my foot was planted and I got hit and I got loaded. And as my fibula was Mm -hmm. breaking, for some reason, I had this like instinct to jump and I jumped out and somehow got my foot unstuck because the worst (laughs) thing that you can happen is when you break your fibula and your foot's plaque, normally you dislocate Mm -hmm. your ankle and then they have to go in and pin the ankle and they do all that. And then like, you know, then you're out for fucking two years. Um, but it was kind of weird on film. As soon as I got hit, I just jumped backwards and they were like, how'd you know to jump? And I'm like, I don't know, fucking survival. Uh, intuition, you know, it, Yeah, intuition, <laughs> just like having been in, like, bad places enough to be like, oh, my spider sense is tingling. But um, I remember watching guys, uh, you know, get loaded and twist and get that high ankle sprain, and those dudes were hurt for, like, 12, 14 weeks. Yeah. Like, they would go out and they couldn't push off. I mean, that was one of those injuries that, you know, was almost worse than an ACL because at least they can go in and fix the ACL and get you on the road. Mm-hmm. That high ankle sprain just heals itself whenever it heals, and there's not really a mechanism to, like, speed up the recovery. And um, No, and
2: then what we – what we're seeing is a lot of these guys come back too soon from it too. Like yeah. I remember, um, I think it was Adrian Peterson, like Odell Beckham Jr. They both had high ankle sprains and tried to come back too early and then it cost them the rest of the year, yeah. right? Because it's just, they never fixed the underlying problem of actually looking at the foot. We just put them back into the exact same environment, right? So the same forces are getting put through the, the joint. They just couldn't take it anymore. We had more of a catastrophic
1: blowout then. We, uh, at the Eagles, but, we had a, a rookie. Uh, first-round first round draft pick, and I can't remember his name. Uh, week one, he got a high ankle sprain, and he sat out for like 14 weeks. And the problem is, is a first-round draft pick, um, you know, defensive lineman in that situation, especially being a rookie and having a high ankle sprain, which people kind of like poo a little bit, uh, the media absolutely killed this dude and the team and, like, you know, the, the the coaches and all that all of a sudden, you know, kind of saying he was a malingerer and lazy and didn't want to do it. And all of a I mean, that dude ended up fucking playing himself right out of the league just from that injury. And when he came back, he was all right, but he always had that label. And uh, that's such a dangerous thing um, because, man, that's one of those injuries that, uh, like, doesn't on paper – looked like oh like what do you mean it's just a high ankle sprain it's a sprain and they've kind of attached it. What they should talk is like a high ankle liga or uh, ligament rupture. Was it I think. Bunkley? No, this would have been uh he was um defensive lineman. This would have been like in two thousand and three or two thousand and four.
0: So Tex, while you're looking at Z, can you explain, I know in previous podcasts, we kind of talk about like this compensatory spiraling action that, um, that the is triggered in the foot. And then as you go upstream, there's kind of this, you know, Fibonacci sequence, where are the points? Like, can you walk us through that chain, that kinetic chain up into, I guess, I don't know, the hip, the back, the shoulder, or, you know.
1: Yeah. Maybe,
0: maybe in a specific movement. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes it's deceleration where a non-contact injury occurs, like what could be happening that's causing a non-contact ACL injury and then what should be happening, you know?
2: And, and we, we kind of covered this a little bit during the the arthritic toe podcast that we did, but they're essentially, there are only two shapes of the lower body. You either have a pronating foot, which is the foot flattening to the ground which is comes along with knee flexion and hip flexion, or you have the opposite shape, which is the supination, the arch lifting, knee extending, hip extending. That's it, right? Those are the only two shapes that we have. Um, so with each one, there are different motions occurring at the joints. So when the foot's flattening, we got the lower, the lower bone, the tibia internally rotating, femur's internally rotating, and the hip is coming forward, okay? With the supination, where the lifting of the arch, The arch is supinating, coming off the ground. The tibia is actually externally rotating, femur is externally rotating, and the pelvis is externally rotating. So these two shapes, we see them in sport, um, but if we don't have the correct contact point with the ground where it all starts in the foot, it's going to send mixed signals up the rest of the chain. So for example, when we're decelerating like you brought up, we're usually getting into a bent knee position and we're trying to allow the forces to go into something like the hips and the hamstrings to slow us down. Well, if the foot doesn't flatten to the ground, right? We never get the tibial internal rotation to occur, which means now we're stuck in an externally rotated position. And it's like trying to press the accelerator with the parking brake on, right? So you got forces going one way, the brain's trying to move you another way. And then you're constantly trying to move yourself in the opposite direction. So there's like so much going on. And then all those forces get pushed into uh, structures, like we talked about before, either on the outside of the knee, inside the knee, or even up at the hip. And we see this a lot with um, with low back injuries because uh, we don't see the pelvis and the hip aren't working very well together, not getting the spiraling pathway to rotation to occur. And a lot of those forces go directly into the sacroiliac joint or into the, into the spinal column. Mm-hmm. Detailed, I know.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, and that's kind of, that's what I was looking yeah. for. And I guess, yeah. so there's like this chain is, is like four rotating segments almost. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. that what it, it kind of yeah.
0: shakes out to be? It's and- like
2: uh like, like ringing out of a towel almost. So it's either winding up, which is what we would call like the hip extension component, which is your force production or unwinding, mm-hmm. which would be more of the force attenuation or the the pronation.
1: Effect. Or like what? a reduction. Mm-hmm. So, so you're reduction. like absorbing. Exactly. So would yeah. it be, would it make sense that if the, I mean, I guess we would have to go back and watch all the different injuries, but I'm interested to know if the uh, ACL tears are happening in like force, I don't know, like reduction or force, like what's the other side would be? Production? Yeah, production. Yeah, yeah. production. Starting, like, yeah. like, are you exploding or are you absorbing the force? Are you accelerating or are you decelerating? Because what it looked like is a lot of guys are getting hurt, like, at the end of the play. Like, I saw the Nick Busu one. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, like it didn't look outside the norm. Yeah, I need
3: a correction. So, the Jets and 49ers at the MetLife Stadium, oh. that's when those 10 injuries occurred. And there was another Jets guy. But the Barkley was against the Bears week two. And that was in Chicago's field. So I need a correction there.
1: Which is a new stadium as well.
3: The so the Barkley uh just watched rewatch the video. Essentially he meets a defender. Defender's trying to go drive him back. He's still trying to go forwards. They're basically meeting in a deadlock and he's just trying to brace himself running towards the right. His right knee like gives out. So these guys
1: Part part of the issue though, man, is um and I like Like, and this is maybe the folklore part of the NFL part. Everything I've seen on Saquon Barkley, I mean, just shows him, like, training, and the dude's an absolute beast. And they show these things, like, look how strong he is. And they've kind of built him up into this little bit of a Superman deal. So, all of a sudden, he goes out there, and as a running back, like, uh, every time I saw a dude go for those extra yards or not want to get tackled or try to do that shit, they end up getting hurt. Just, like... Uh, Priest Holmes and those guys would be like, if they got hit or they got tackled, like they didn't fight. They just went down and they were like, don't worry, we're going to get another play.
3: Well, there was the Sean Alexander. He was a Seattle Seahawks running back. Yeah. And I remember him getting a lot of guff because he would just flop down, fall down or run out of bounds. Yeah. And then, you because I'm used to like the, the, it was Eddie George, Oilers into Titans. Remember Bruiser. Eddie George and those high knees? Oh, yeah. I loved it. And then he would find a safety <laughs> if he was running an open field towards the right. And yeah. wide open,
1: and there was a safety to the left. Take it to him. He'd do well, Just go tackle was a big, the defender. There would be a big difference. Do you know how big Hetty George was? Well, yeah. I Maybe. mean, he, he he was like uh, uh like what was he like six two six three? Like he like he looked uh, like a turtle. He was awesome. Dude, he was uh, uh the the guy who was like uh probably um I don't know. And th- this name's not going to mean anything to you guys, but there was a running back named Chuck Muncie who played at Cal, who uh, played in the NFL, and ended up um basically partied himself out of the league, but easily could have been the best to ever play the game. I mean, like Gail Sayers and like, you know, uh Walter Payton. I mean, Chuck Muncie was like pretty legit. And um I met Chuck Muncie and he was probably every bit of six three and a half, probably two sixty. And that was how big he was when he played. Like and this is back in like the seventies and he's look him up Chuck Muncie. Um I think he's since passed away. But uh like a big running back like that. But I think the problem is, is that people are so big and strong as a running back. If you're going to take that load and try to be a, a tough guy in this, you're just not going to last. You got to go, you got to get out of bounds. You got to go down.
2: Well, think about the situation that's occurring here. We've got these big ass dudes and now we're building really, really strong, powerful engines inside them, right? So from the human body perspective, engines are in the hips, right? We know this. Yeah. And we have such powerful, like a Ferrari engine in the hips, yet our feet are like Pintos. So they're the weak point in the chain. So yes, we have the ground reaction forces coming through the foot up to the hip, but we can generate a lot of force to the hip. And if the feet cannot control that force, that's where it's going to break. And it's going to go someplace else. Like, think about it this way. Like, um, I grew up, I, I played a real sport. I'm like you, John, I played baseball. Mm -hmm. So I was a, I was a catcher for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wore cleats my whole life from like the age of four. And so I never knew what it was like to actually grip the ground or create a tripod foot and I still vividly remember, like, when I first started learning the back squat, I would blow out all of my shoes on the outside edge. So I was essentially using the, the shoe as, as like a, a bolster or, or something to push out against, because I couldn't create the internal torque or the pressure on my own feet. So I blow out the outside edge. And looking back now, I had a lot of hamstring injuries as well. Because I was constantly putting all the force on the outside of my feet instead of using my big toe as that lever to push off of, so all that force is going up into the hamstrings. So, you, on the outside.
1: Do you think that maybe this is like a? Um, I mean, these are just up chain effects that we're seeing. That guys are probably, uh, you know, the shoes probably are less than ideal. Their ankles are taped. They're probably coming in with some maybe. Uh, you know, a, a toe injury. I mean, I'd love to see like, Hey, these guys tore ACLs, but these guys had a, a, a toe injury or a turf toe, something going on in their foot. They lock it down, they spat, they do these things and then it reduces proprioception. All of a sudden the foot can't react in the right way. It goes up chain and they blow an ACL.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's, I think it's a reductionist level of thinking. Um, and obviously, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Einstein. We're not getting any yeah, we're not getting any different results. We're seeing the same shit occurring year after year. Um, so I think we need to take a step back and, and learn to understand deeper about what's going on in the foot and the ankle so that we can actually make some <laughs> beneficial changes and um, do using the same strategies over and over and over again about trying to isolate and control. Like we cannot control chaos. There's so much going on. And I think we're naive to think that we have the power to prevent all these injuries through these mechanical um, strategies or these mechanical vectors of trying to to isolate and control and support things.
3: And what can be a training solution? We can't integrate chaos into the training that's representative of mm-hmm. game day. So what do we do?
2: That's a, that's a great question too, because um, I've been told by a lot of athletic trainers that it's too hard to train the feet in the gym, in the weight room. Um, and I call bullshit on that because it's, <laughs> it's either we have, we're lazy, right? We don't, we don't want to, or we don't know how there's an ignorance factor as well. And we know there are plenty of strength guys out there doing it. Look at all of Cal work with training to barefoot. through his different, um, different levers and his five different positions. There are ways to do it. Um, but I think that's where we start to ha- start to chip away at a, at a prevention because we're never going to be able to prevent, but we can re- at least reduce the risk of, and I think there is a lot to be said for, um taking a look and using the lens as a foot for training and making that the strongest uh, strongest link in the chain so that we could have you know people say trickle down effect, but in a sense this is like a trickle trickle up effect to producing stronger knees, hips and actually reducing a lot of these injuries that we're we're seeing occurring year after year.
0: But if you don't change the ankle taping routine and mm-hmm. the direction that footwear is going within cleats and spikes and things like that, would having a stronger foot really help if you're, if you're, I mean, you're handicapping it through these, mm-hmm. these taping and footwear practices, right?
2: Yeah, you are. And I think like um, from controllable factors like we talked about this in the beginning with the turf, not really being a, a modifiable factor, like it's there. Um, it's going to be hard because a lot of this stuff, it's this dogma is indoctrinated in, high-level sports like it's what we've been doing for decades but just because we've been doing it for decades doesn't make it right um so it's it's gonna it's gonna take some time right but i think you can work on the other side of the coin of strengthening up the foot so you now you have the capacity on the other end of the spectrum to withstand more and to put yourself into a better position even though you're inside the environment of cleat because listen the cleats aren't going away the athletic shoes aren't going away I think we can make some modifications to them to improve their functionality with the foot. Um, but for the time being, like it's going to take a few years for that to, to take place and for those to see those changes happen.
0: So what was the research that has got like got footwear to where it's at now and these cleats where it's at now with like the the rigid sole and and,
2: and a, a lot and of that came like, the from narrow
0: uh, the narrow toe box and everything like that?
2: Well, a lot of that came from biomechanical data. So we know we can make you str- uh, faster and more powerful by narrowing the foot, right? It's creating that more, that rigid lever, uh, that transverse arch that goes from the big toe to the fifth toe. It's like a class two lever, like a wheelbarrow. It's designed to handle a lot of loads. We figured out that if you can narrow the base of support and put it into a more directed uh, position, you can now generate more power, more force, more speed in a shorter amount of time. Okay. But, what we've seen now over the years is that it's having a a negative long-term effect, even on the foot. because it's changing the shape, right? That's how we get the bunions. And then we, we start to shift the pressure now away from the big toe because we're, we're forcing it to bend to the outside edge of the foot. So all those forces now the the brain's not stupid, right? It's going to figure out another lever to push off of. And it's usually going to try and shift it over to the second and third toe or even over to the fifth toe. And as we start to see these, these negative ramifications occur, um, but we do know that from an injury reduction standpoint, that foot does need to flatten so you can attenuate the load and we do need both. Um, so I think it, it's going back to the whole reductionist mindset as we took data from biomechanical research and applied it in a very narrow scope. And now we're seeing a lot of these negative ramifications come despite the improvement in performance. So a shame. Yeah. Well, we're seeing a resurgence in, in like the more barefoot style footwear. I think it's only a matter of time until it, it does transfer over to sport.
1: Well, the one way it's going to transfer over to sport is if Nike decides that they right. want to right. do it. And that's and, what I keep
0: thinking. is the that's amount a whole of well, conversation. No,
1: well, the problem yeah. too is, um, and just this is purely aesthetics, the shoes look sweet. I remember like, yeah, like, no, I ob- like opening yeah. the box and seeing these shoes and they like are tapered <laughs> and they got like all this. And then yep. it was funny, like... I like when you look at the barefoot shoes, like you look at Tom's and you look at some. like they're very unattractive because they're flat and they kind of wide toe box in this and while wow, they're comfortable. But like, I think that there's an, uh, an age old, like look fast, be fast. Like, Oh man, these shoes look fast. I'm going to be, you know, and I, I still do it with my kids. They put on shoes and they run around the store. And I'm like, do they make you faster? Oh yeah. Okay. We're getting those ones. <laughs> like I told Cashy that, um, his shark vans, he ran faster in his shark vans than he did in the non-shark vans. So he got the shark vans. So like that piece, works but I think that there's a real thing with uh yeah. they haven't found a way to make a, a practical shoe that looks cool mm-hmm. that people are going to want to wear because at the end of the day man and I know this sounds people aren't going to believe me uh NFL players not all of them but many of them are hyper concerned with how they look on the field for the fans and on TV i
0: totally believe that dude like uh tapes and
1: socks and these whole like like
0: what face mask you want to wear what type of visor visor right how you can roll your gloves um, well like how they taper the
1: pants so like you know dudes will like uh, get their pants tapered up so they're like knees like and they won't wear knee pads they wear like four sets of socks they pull the socks up because they don't want color uh every nfl team has Mm. it's supposed to be color and white so they pull them up so they look like they're wearing white socks i mean there's all of this stuff that guys do for just to try to look cool and i think the shoes are a major player in that and uh like i remember man dudes like lobbying and fighting to wear black shoes oh if we were black this we should you know and there's no team that wears black shoes in the nfl they're always white shoes Mm -hmm. but then you see like the breast cancer awareness they let them wear different colors and this but i think the problem is that the way that they would make the shoe that would be potentially the best shoe for the foot in terms of minimizing this stuff it would be extremely uncool and dudes would be like, I want the cool looking well, it's, shoe.
0: It's like a car though, too, yeah. right? If you were to make the perfectly aerodynamic car, it would look it would look like an airfoil or a teardrop, right? Like all round edges yeah. and super douchey and like <laughs> and if you start looking at like really elegantly designed cars with like the right curves and hard lines and how light hits it. You know what I mean? I yeah. feel like it's the same
1: thing with, well, with, it's with the like shoe, the Ferraris. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I was on that, uh, podcast with, uh, the, um, the dude from Portugal the other day and we were talking about like the inherent coach's eye. and I made the relation or the deal like from a mile away, I can hit a, hear a front engine V 12 Ferrari and know exactly that sound because that's the sound they tune their motor for Mm -hmm. and when it pulls up and i'm not a ferrari fan but i mean you pull up and you're just like holy shit look at the fenders and the way that thing flows and it's just you don't know why but it's so aesthetically pleasing Mm -hmm. so i mean there's something to it now does a ferrari get you anywhere better from point a to point b probably but at the end of the day like (laughs) what's the point like but i I think for these guys you know you're getting paid 135 million dollars um you know, maybe they look at it and like, oh, fuck it, I got hurt. It's part of the deal. I'll rehab and yeah. I'll be back next year. But I would want... I mean, and so I used to wear um, Nike molds and I would. Uh, they would actually make them in a wider size than I needed because I wanted a wider toe box. And uh, I would get like maybe two or three pairs of cleats a year. I'd wear one for practice, one for games, and I would make sure that they were nice and broken in and soft and like not rigid. You know, the uh, um, the soles weren't real hard and like, you know, like to do all these things so that I felt like they were flexible and I could move and my foot could slide. So
3: That that was gonna be my question for you, John. What is the the shoe experience? And you answered it with your question, one practice cleat, one game
1: cleat. Uh, some dudes fresh wear shoes. Fre- uh, fresh shoes, brand new shoes every day so i know dudes that wore brand new shoes at practice and brand new shoes for every game
3: and that that's what i could never comprehend because it was always the the pain of i would buy one pair of cleats for the spring season and you just break them in in the first three weeks and it sucks Mm -hmm. and then you have a good a great pair to run through the year of spring into fall and then redo it so it was like one pair one good pair you could trust. Yeah, I can't. I could never imagine freshies, freshies yeah. every yeah. And,
1: day. And dude's it, uh, I mean, but I but was also cool. like, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the only fresh thing I wore is I wore a new pair of gloves every Sunday because same um, jock, unwashed. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> As is tradition, over Luck. The fa- over the face. Uh, but I would tape. I would. <laughs> that's tape, your mask. I would tape gloves on my hand before. So I, I would just cool. cut them off after. But um, yeah, I mean, like there was a whole deal, man. Like. I wore the same like I wore the exact same uniform in a hundred degree weather as I wore in negative fourteen degrees. Same t shirt, like same like set of like shorts underneath, like same socks, everything. And I just didn't deviate. I did the exact same thing, and it was just because like that was I did. I, you get strangely superstitious with this stuff, and like uh, we'd get like two or three players of me. You know, if you a new cleats every day, you could wear them. But I would wear I would rotate cleats in training camp, and I would make sure I had broken in cleats. To like wear all season and then you have practice ones and i would still wear those
3: i got one final question for matt because i know we're running <laughs> down on time here in your experience working with professional athletes what's the weirdest superstition quirk that you've just accepted He's a that a baseball they do? player oh. well they're There's still professional
2: <laughs> we're we're f- yeah we're full of superstitions in baseball oh geez so what's the what's the weirdest superstition Yeah, you
3: saw and you just kind of, okay, cool, man. Whatever it takes for you to do well.
2: So I'm not, I don't actually have one from baseball, but I have one from when I was with uh, University of Pittsburgh's basketball team. Uh, These guys would wear the same socks, same socks, every single game, every single day for practice. They never changed them. And of course, what were we doing back then? Lots of ankle taping. So they'd take these socks off and it would just be gross, man. They had some, probably some of the worst, feet I've ever experienced. Mm. For those guys. Yeah. It was
3: sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, John, you got a, a weird one from somebody
1: else? Uh, the napper? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not going to name a name, but I knew a couple different guys that uh would frequent prostitutes before the games as a, as, a, as a as a Same ladies? Uh, no, we're not in the NBA. Huh. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you
2: got to re- <laughs> You got to release that nervous energy. Uh,
1: Dude, I mean, guys had really, really weird stuff. Like, I can't remember (laughs) who. uh, uh, One of the guys I played with had to have two packs of Wrigley Spearmint gum on Mm. Sunday. And he would put them in his pants and then he would, like, chew the gum. But he had to have two packs. I mean, there was, all like, the amount of weird stuff that people had. But uh, I just remember, like, um, who I I can't remember the dude who was at the Super Bowl. um, Got busted. uh, Basically, they they caught him. propositioning a prostitute back to his room and it was like he had just got done in his Bible study and the whole deal and it was just part of his tradition <laughs> routine yeah his routine was that he had a hooker back to his room before the game and like uh, and the dude gets busted at the Super Bowl the night before the Super Bowl trying to proposition a hooker back to his room for his and he was like well it's my uh, it's my superstition this is what I do before games and they're like you were just at a Bible study with your family <laughs> doesn't matter nah dudes are it's weird. like
2: Joe Boo sacrificing a chicken
1: ah a yes bit. yeah I like when he Major showed League. up when best. he when he showed Major up with League? the uh, bucket of KFC. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> that was two, wasn't it? That was
1: no. Two. He he's like, dude. He's yeah, like, we two. can't have people throwing up in the locker room. And he comes in and he hands him the bucket of chicken. He's like, it's the best I can do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's always the best one too. And he goes, he's like, hey, ja- <laughs> hey, bartender, Jabu needs a refill. <laughs> <laughs> and he hits him with the bat in the back of the head. Oh shit, that's uh, the best. And then he's pitching really with Jabu next to his uh-huh, foot. Uh-huh.
0: Oh, well, man. That's great. Rewatch. Are you telling
1: oh, me? Yeah. Jabu can't hit a curveball? No. <laughs> oh,
3: well, no. No. no je- what did he say? It's like a Jesus. You saying, Jesus Christ. you saying Jesus can't hit a curveball? That's one of my
1: favorite one liners in all <laughs> uh, uh, sports movies. Dude, that's, uh, there are so many one liners. <laughs> uh, my all time favorite movies. Randy Quaid in uh, yeah. Major League Two when he's like, fucking tear the stadium down. Oh, the fan. Yeah, the fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Randy. It's some of Randy Quaid's best work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in, uh, 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 in Independence Day. Oh, oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! In the, in the words of my generation, up
2: yours. <laughs> ah, there we have it. I know it. I know what I'm watching this weekend.
0: Yeah, yeah. Major League. Yeah. God
2: damn it! They'll throw a great it up movie. there. Well, ladies and
0: gentlemen, listening, to, or thanks for listening to our, uh, I guess, our analysis of what's going on with the trend here and one of the biggest competitive stages in the world. It's unfortunate to see some of these kids have to go through it kids you like that john just yeah. a couple young guys just, out there playing not like old timers like bucks. like us you know just
1: old and washed up old school <laughs> i know you're gonna say zach old old, school. and you know what's crazy is when he listens to this podcast he's gonna text me old school <laughs>
0: johnny
3: old <laughs> school. school oh maybe. dude
1: i uh dude i love getting random text messages from zach so he'll listen to this he'll text me and then it'll be old school Johnny, what, old school.
3: Matt, final one. What what can yeah. people look for when they're watching football to this show a good position for for guys that are changing direction well and not getting hurt?
2: Oh, So there really is no one great position. <laughs> we know like having the knee over the toe is, is a very biomechanically safe position, but we still need to be able to take the knee on the inside edge of the instep and also on the outside edge because you're going to experience it in sport. Like it's sports messy. It's chaotic. We, we've we talked about that already. So it comes down to the preparation, but what you're going to see is these guys that are, are changing direction and cutting really well is they'll have the knee over that instep on the inside edge, no matter what position the foot is in. Mm-hmm. So it could be turned out, could be straight ahead. It could be in, but they're still going to have the knee lined up going over the, either the first ray or over the inside edge. And what that tells me is that that foot is actually flattening and pronating into the earth. Which means they're going to get a lot of elastic energy return and be able to control it um, upstream to be able to produce a lot of force. So, interesting. Look at Barry Sanders work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was, guess that's what I was going to say. Best. Is like,
0: is like slow motion yeah. replay on any oh. like any sort of juke or cutback, uh, and you'll see it. Or uh, man, I, because get, we mentioned Gail Sayers earlier. Yeah. R.I.P. Passed away yesterday. It was uh, yesterday, the day before. But Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: he had a uh, um, a short career in in like the gray, the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, like ruthless. The um, the comment that I remember, and and, uh, I was, or I still am, a huge fan of like the old NFL films. Like it was a cold day in Lambeau Field, especially (laughs) with uh, uh, Sable's dad. Um, But I just remember the uh, the comment that was attributed to Gale Sayers. Every time was he left opponents clutching at air. Right? He was like, Gail Sayers moves and leaves opponents clutching at clutching. air. Clutching. And, and, and like, I always remember that quote was like, clutching at air. And then uh, I was reading like one of, like you know, like, um, you know, somebody put out and was writing it. And they actually referenced to that point from uh, NFL films that left opponents clutching at air. And when they said it, I was like, fuck, that was it. I, I didn't know this. Fun fact Gail Sayers, the
3: movie Brian's Song, this is based off. Real life story between him and another player. I, I, I didn't realize that was what, that was he him. He
1: only played what six or seven years. I forgot how short his career was. Pretty short. It just
3: blew my mind because uh, we've talked about it on mm-hmm. previous sports movies podcasts. I didn't know it was him. Uh, I'm checking John for you. Any any closeout? We do have an article from Matt Sanis. Mm-hmm.
0: Check out the Power Athlete blog at powerathletehq.com/blog for all sorts of goodies, including Z's article on this, which will get a little nittier and grittier. But mm-hmm. Matt, thanks, man. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, if you're not following Matt, and you're, you need to get on Rooted in Movement on uh, Instagram and check it out. He's dropping knowledge left and right. And uh, let's see, anything else there? Z, you want him checking anything else out?
2: No, that's a great place to start. A lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of great posts on there. Learn a lot about me and personality. Um, and you can reach out to me on there too. Love hearing from everybody.
0: Sweet. And if you have a question for us that you want us to answer, call us because we can't read your minds every show like we did today. Call us because the hotline <laughs> is open. It's hot. Hot, hot, hot. 929-464-4640. That's 929 ink ink 0 And text. do you have the answer to the no, question? No, this is so difficult. He's just, from Omaha.
1: No, just type in like <laughs> Gail Sayers career line. Um, <laughs> how long did Gail Sayers play in the NFL?
0: I'm not editing this silence out text. You're do, this is what you're doing to the listeners.
1: 1965. Seven seasons.
3: Till 1971. Yeah, so he played so you had four
0: it. minutes to look it up. What were you searching <laughs> besides how long did Gail Sayers be yeah, I mean, in the NFL? I got all these see, fun facts about it. See,
1: him. Here's, here's the crazy <laughs> Born part. Born in Omaha. I just, so when I go to Google, I ask Google exactly what I want. I'm like, I don't be like, oh, no. Gail Sayers' career. I'm like, Google, tell me how long Gail Sayers played.
0: Now, this might shock you, John. So does everyone else.
1: (laughs) Except Tex.
3: (laughs) Well, he was drafted in both the NFL and the AFL (sighs) in the top five picks. He went to college at Kansas, Rock Chalk or whatever they say, and then four-time Pro Bowler.
1: Yeah, seven years. But yeah, he had a really first short team career. all
3: pro five years
1: from 1965
0: until 1969.
3: Don't
1: put that obligatory and,
0: Chicago accent and, on your Gale Sayers stats.
1: Uh, the sad part is he died of uh, complications due to dementia and Alzheimer's. Ah, ah. yeah. Rest in peace, big guy. Which is, yeah, man. Uh, I do. He, um, uh, unbelievable player, man. Uh, like, also, what was it, Chuck Muncie? I mean, how long did he play? Oh, he died at sixty. Uh, yeah, he, I don't have his stats, but dude. Unbelievable! I, I
0: got all this we, other random information. We don't have the time, to be honest with you, Tex. For you to <laughs> circuitously search that. Okay, Z, thanks, man. <laughs> thank and you. Thank you, Power yeah. Athlete Nation.
2: Yeah. Great
0: conversation.
2: Call thank
0: us. You. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to PowerAthleteHQ.com/backslash/training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!